0: Hey, what's going on guys? Welcome back to the Jeremy Scott Fitness Podcast or Radio Show. Coming to you on this Friday, March the 19th, 2021. Hopefully it finds you staying safe and staying sweaty all at the same time. On today's episode, we are talking to my man, Raul. Luxury real estate agent and all around badass human being. But before we kick into that, again, reminder, the podcast is brought to you by my homies at athletic greens you guys already know it's the one thing i take every single day i never miss if you're somebody who struggles to eat enough vegetables let's be real all of you guys do this is the one thing that i would take if you're tired of taking 19 different pills i would get on this in a heartbeat if you want something that helps support energy your immune system gut health digestion liver function hormone function brain function lord knows i need that This is the thing that I would take. And right now, we can hook you guys up with a year's supply of free vitamin D and five free travel packs with order one. The site is athleticgreens.com slash Jeremy Scott. And if you're really on the fence and you've heard me talk about this 8 million times, you can shoot us a DM, fill out the contact page, message us however you need to. Monaco will literally send a pack right to your front door. You can try it and then get hooked up with all the free shit. That's how much we care about you guys. So, again, the site athleticgreens.com slash Jeremy Scott to get the free stuff or hit us up and we'll send some to you just to give it a try. Also, the podcast is brought to you by my homies at Beam CBD. You guys know it's the one thing I take to go to sleep every night, specifically the dream product. Again, the Beam does not have any THC in it. You will not get high. You got to go to your homie's place for that. But if you want something to help you sleep and not wake up feeling groggy, you'll still be able to pass a drug test. This is the thing I would take. The dream product has the 20 milligrams of nano CBD, melatonin, you name it. And if you want to try three free nights for free, hit us up. I'm happy to do it. Or on the beamtlc.com site, you can enter the code Jeremy Scott. It'll save you 35% off all subscriptions and 20% off all products always and forever. So again, it's not habit forming. I feel rested, I wake up, I don't feel like, you know when you take like NyQuil or Benadryl or anything that gives you that groggy feeling, this has none of that. So that's why I've been taking it consistently and I feel great. So if you guys have questions, hit me up. Otherwise the site, bmtlc.com and then the code is Jeremy Scott for all of the discounts. Now, my man Roel is here today and he has earned a ton of accolades as a top sales producer. And I'm talking all things real estate. He has closed millions and millions and millions of dollars of real estate transactions and has been recognized in the industry multiple times across the board. He started his career in mortgage banking, which we'll touch on, and quickly moved into development and literally just kind of crushing the world in the greater Phoenix area here. And so as the Arizona market has kind of evolved, he started a niche in foreclosure properties. He actually was awarded one of the top producing real estate agent groups and he transitioned into the luxury real estate segment and has developed a track record for literally being the dude in that space, at least as far as I know it here in the valley. We'll kind of touch on that. He actually recently left uh, as a managing partner of the Beverly Hills-based group, the agency, to start his own kick-ass badass adventure as a partner in the Jack and Raul group and my man Raul is here today so welcome brother what's up my man thank you for having me yeah you sound super important there (laughs) but you are you're a real dude (laughs) well I appreciate it um side note everybody who's listening you were the first dude that I trained here when I quit like corporate America America yes I remember that yeah well about 10 years ago Oh, man, it's probably 11 years ago, probably 11 or 12. We were young dudes, yeah, <laughs> and now we're older. I feel it too. I feel it, and you still got me on that you know 30 year old workout. <laughs> you know, I just wash, rinse, repeat, dude, squats, a squats, a squat. Uh, so for these guys listening, um, the origin story, uh, just to, to get the background of you, you can go back as far as, as you want to go if it's family life, school stuff, personal. shit go crazy
1: yeah um well the intro you know made me sound like I've arrived and I haven't I'm still a work in progress I still have you know glorious peaks but you know deep valleys and um so I'm not that guest that is you know made it I'm still pushing striving still have my struggles um but you know still determined to you know push forward so who who am I well wow, it's kind of loaded um you know, I'm just an average guy who had a determination not to be the way I grew up. Come from very humble beginnings. Um, you know, my parents, blue collar, uh, not educated. And I was determined not to uh, be a product of my environment, so to speak. And I knew that from a very, you know, early age. And I just wanted to strive to be better so that I could help people and um you know, give back to what was not given to me, um, essentially, um, grew up very poor, uh, grew up here in Phoenix in the West Valley. Um, and I mean West Valley. I'm talking like 35th
0: Avenue McDowell. And for people who've never been here, it's the it's the avenues. Yeah, like it's if, ghetto. I don't. Yeah, I don't. Want, I, I don't want to say it, but if you live in the avenues, it's it just is what it is. Yeah, I hear you.
1: A lot of great people living in the avenues, I will say. However, it, it was uh, it was not a good upbringing, and as a kid, you know, I saw a lot of things that kids probably shouldn't, you know, see. Um, gangs and you know drugs and alcohol and crazy stuff with family and that type of thing um but it's
0: not Scottsdale. no No. it's
1: not the guy that you see here today sitting beside you if i if somebody would have shown me a photo of me today like you know 30 years ago i would have said there's no way who's that white guy
0: (laughs) (laughs) for everyone listening roll is not a white guy if you didn't piece it together
1: yeah, so my my dad uh, is Portuguese, Mexican, sprinkling some French and Italian. My mom's Mexican. Very proud of my heritage. Very proud of where I grew up. Um, but at the same time, you know, it it was not uh, easy. Um, so yeah, grew up very, you know, kind of broke, poor, um, and I started to fall back into um kind of my environment so to speak i um had my first child my daughter when i was 17 years old um what, what year is this this is
0: 1992 It's not like normal yet like now it's like people say it. it's like oh okay <laughs> I, mean, I mean i hate to say that but like now it's like normal back then it was still that's fresh yeah
1: she was born on uh my prom night as a matter of fact that's crazy and it was funny because all my teachers and everybody back then thought you'll just you're going to either end up in prison or dead, and like you'll never amount to shit. And um, so, but it was actually life changing. Instead of me saying, okay, you know, I have a, a child at seventeen, and I'm just going to you know fall into you know what I was used to, I, it made me actually more determined. Um, and then, uh, of course, you know, young, kind of dumb. Uh, That relationship didn't work out. And I got into, I jumped right into another relationship. And this all goes back to the dysfunction of the way that I was brought up. And I ended up getting married to another lady um, at 19. So one mother at 17. (laughs) Yes, nice mature. (laughs) At 19, you're very (laughs) mature to be married. I get it, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. right? Got married when I was 19, had my son when I was 20, and then had my youngest daughter when I was 23, by 25, I was divorced with three little kids. So think about that: 25 years old, divorced, three, three kids, three kids, two yeah.
0: different, two different moms. women. Yes, yeah. It's a good. You got a good strong base <laughs> for success here. I think that's <laughs> how you map it out. That's crazy, dude.
1: Oh, just wait. It's gonna get good. Let me just throw in all the other stuff yeah. that people may or may not know about me. Um, so, in, in, in a nutshell, who I am, and then we we'll can get into some detail about it, it's, it's pretty um, non-conventional. So, um, I'm a teen dad. I'm Latin. So, I'm a minority teen dad. For a while, a single dad. Um, gay. Um, conservative. Republican. I mean, everything that society says that doesn't kind
0: of go together that's me (laughs) it doesn't really fit it doesn't well just being a gay man with three kids that are yours is not the probably it's not the typical no
1: yeah yeah people are like how did that happen that's crazy dude it is it's just it was nuts um so I grew up in the West Valley and had kids young and was divorced with three kids by 23 um and then just started you know exploring what I thought I was. And it was difficult because I, you know, come from a very conservative Christian background, still hold those values very near and dear to my heart, still love God and all that. I don't, I don't belong to, you know, an organized religion, but, um, and I don't, you know, preach to anybody, but I know where my source of strength, you know, comes from. And that's, you know, Jesus Christ. Um, and, the, and and what it what's fascinating about this piece, Jeremy, is that, I just feel like I've always been kind of an outsider. And what that is, is, you know, I was too white for the Mexicans. I'm too Mexicans for the white folks. I'm too gay for the straights, too straight for the gays, you know, too gay for the church, too church for the gays. <laughs> I mean, it was like, where do I fit in? You know what I mean? Well, and it's crazy. to it, carve out my own shit.
0: Well, yeah, it doesn't really, none of that fits together. Like, and again, nobody has to, like, we're all, and that's what, if we were going to say politics like people go ever you left or right or red or blue all these things like most of us live in like this weird middle space like on a lot of different things but Mm -hmm. in life in general it's like you don't fit in but we try to kind of fit these narratives and these molds and you clearly uh, obviously do not I, i guess the question is like when you're when you're younger obviously growing up the culture the religion like i grew up the same way like in the catholic church there's certain things like they're just not cool with, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, do you feel like when you're like a young dude, you're like, I am gay, but I really can't say that I am like, how does that work? Like, as you're growing up, like, cause when you're a kid, right? Like, it's just in your bunch of dudes, Mm -hmm. especially like our age group or like younger in the nineties, it's like, there's a lot of like negativity towards being gay. Like, it's not like it is today. Yeah. It really is. It's way different. Um, you know,
1: I I always, you know, had an attraction to gays. It was just our to gays to guys. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) To gay guys? Yes. Um, there was always this, this attraction. Of course, when I was younger, I didn't know what that was because I was a kid. I didn't know anything about you know sex or anything like that. Um, but then as I got older, I just found myself... It, I was more at ease around a guy. I felt like dating was a lot of work when I dated women. Um, it is, yeah. <laughs> and now I'm finding that dating guys is a lot of work. But... Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, I just, I always just had this natural, you know, way about just, you know, being more attracted to guys and, you know, girls. Um, and it's funny because I always tell my kids, you know, when they, when they're being, you know, assholes (laughs) that, you know, you almost didn't exist. There was a small window. And if I would have figured who I was out prior to the nineties, you wouldn't even be, you wouldn't be here. That is crazy. (laughs) So it's funny. Yeah. So anyways, um, it was through some of those struggles that uh, I realized, you know, I got to make money. And I was not educated. I had kids young, so I finished high school, and that's where it ended. And I took an inventory on, you know, what my God-given talents were, from, you know, little things to big things. Um, You know, some people would say, you have a nice smile, so I jotted that down as a positive. And some people say, you know, you speak well. You know, I jotted that down as a positive. And I realized that, you know, one of the passions that I have was sales. And initially I was going to do, you know, car sales because I thought I got to make money. I got to support my kids and I got to make a good life for them. Long story short, it just led me uh, to mortgages. And then that led me into uh, real estate where I became an agent for a new home sales company called Ryland Homes. And in my first, um, you know, month as a salesperson back in 03-ish, I sold 17 homes, and I just kind of became the darling of our division for, you know, Ryland. And, and I loved it. It was like I got a high off the deal, the thrill of the deal. And, uh, and that, that's where I started my career was, you know, the guy that sat in the model homes and showed you around when you came in. And then the boom happened, and it really, I mean, I think I had made more money that I could ever dream of. I think my total debt at the time that I would be stressing about was like, you know, $10,000. And that included credit cards and car payments and all that. And I remember my first commission check was like $22,000. And I, like, I, when I got that check, I literally sat in my car and I just cried because I'd never seen so much money in my life. What year is this? This was 03. And how old are you? I, shit, I don't know. <laughs> I'm 46 now, do
0: the math. <laughs> I'm trying to think how old am I? You're we're about ten years apart? Yeah. Years apart. So 3 oh, three you're thirty years old? Around thirty ish. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And you get a check for twenty K. Yep. And you'd never seen that before. Never seen that before. It's crazy sick. remember like my dad paid off his house Mm-hmm. And I don't think my dad's ever made over 50 grand in a year. And it was like before I moved here, so probably like right before like oh, uh, like when the world's melting like 0708 and he shows me the payoff statement and it was like I think he wrote the last check for $20,000. And I'm not kidding you, he showed it to me and, and my brain I go, "How the fuck did you get $20,000?" <laughs> like I couldn't fathom a human being I am swear to god. Yeah. I couldn't fathom a human being getting 20 grand at one time, like e- even saving it. Right. And I literally grew up in and we grew up very similar in the same kind of scenario where I never saw money. I've never seen it where I just thought, like, how could I ever save $40,000 to put down a $200,000 house? I literally thought that for probably the first 25 years of my life. Yeah. Which is crazy. So I, I can understand that you making a single bonus check or a single commission where it's like, fuck, I got 20K now. Pretty sweet.
1: Oh, yeah. I went home and, you know, I put the kids in the car and went to Peter Piper. And I just was on top of the world.
0: Balling. Yeah. Wow. Peter Piper. It's like bro. Chuck, it's like Chuck E. Cheese in the Midwest. <laughs> shit. Yeah. We had a good time. <laughs> so like you obviously get into the, the mortgage banking stuff and then you just gravitate towards like, why real estate of all the things? Like you can sell pharmaceuticals, you can sell medical device. Why is was homes just an, an easy thing or just kind of fit with the mortgage banking?
1: You know what? I knew that it was the easiest, fastest way to make a lot of money. And, you know, when, when you don't have a degree and I didn't have any, you know, college education, um, it, it was the one thing based on the little inventory that I had taken that I knew that I could do, you know, best and quick. Um, I've always liked architecture and design and, uh, you know, homes. And so I just felt like it was a, a, a the, the choice was, you know, pretty clear. Um, and then I, you know, the door opened for me, I was doing mortgages for Ryland homes and I sat next to the sales manager and he saw my work ethic. I mean, I'd be, you know, processing loans on a Saturday and my kids would be sitting on the floor of my office, you know, coloring or playing with their, you know, hot wheels or whatever. And he saw that and he thought, God, this guy has a great work ethic. He should probably sell. And I did, I sold the hell out of those homes. I mean, it was, it was a great run. And then the market started to crash and what i realized was my biggest competitor at that time was foreclosures and foreclosures were so hot because people were buying new homes and then foreclosing a year or two later and so really all these homes needed was you know a coat of paint and maybe spruce up the yard and they were selling for a fraction of the cost so i left new home sales and i got into resale and the first resale house that I sold was thirty nine thousand dollars. And when you walked out the front door, you could see the, the cloud, the the plume smoke that came out of the Palo Verde nuclear power plant. Oh, that's where it's at here. It was terrible. A shithole. <laughs> yeah, but somebody bought it. Somebody bought it. I don't. I don't even understand why, and I don't even know what they did with it. I should drive by there and see. I don't know. Like there. I well, probably I, have
0: two heads now. <laughs> I've asked this at some point, but like, do you ever? And I've had this too, like where obviously like you sold me our house, like Heather and I went and we looked at how we did it. And I always tell the story where we would go on the weekends, typically probably like most people. And this is, I'm not the luxury home dude. I'm a basic fucking dude. (laughs) And, but at least for this, like, I would be honest, like we would drive around and we'd walk in and I know like the first step I take in or even from the outside, I'm like, she'll never live here. But Heather would do like, and now she's old, so I don't think she'll do it anymore. But she would be like, oh, no, maybe. I'm like, don't waste these guys' fucking time. You're never (laughs) living here. This is a shithole. We don't want to be here. But like when you're selling a place like that or any place, do you ever – obviously, it's not your job to talk them out of it. Your job is actually to obviously sell the stuff. But when you're, you're showing people some stuff, you're ever just like, hey, bro, this is not the place for you. Like, does that ever happen? It
1: like, does It does now. Um, at the time, when that person wanted to buy that house, they had some vision of theirs that they, you know, thought that they could fix it up and this and that. And I just basically told them what they wanted to hear. They were going to buy it. So I figured, you know. Well, if you don't sell it to them, somebody else will. That's it, right. Yeah. But I, I, it, it wasn't like I was, you know, trying to talk them into, you know, sitting on like some Aaron Brockovich property. <laughs> yeah, You know what I mean? They're, yeah, it's like toxic <laughs> and shit. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't like that. Um, but it just goes to show you how hard work, good mindset, you know, can bring you far. So I went from selling a thirty nine thousand dollar home to, you know, by the power power plant to, you know, multi million dollar properties today, and that was not, you know, an easy transition in and of itself.
0: So you start selling for this company, and then you eventually leave them.
1: Yeah. So I got into selling foreclosures. Uh, I started out with Keller Williams. Keller Williams is a great company for, you know, new people. I'm not plugging them. But if you're a new agent looking for, you know, education and all that, they're the best at it. They they really are great for brand new agents. I think a lot of agents would agree with me on that.
0: No shit. Yeah,
1: they're good for, for newbies. There's a lot of great companies out there, though. But that's, that's where I went because a buddy of mine had went there. So we did these foreclosure properties and I don't know if anybody has ever heard of the uh, a movie called The Big Short. It's a great movie. Yeah, that was what I was doing. And it that shit was real. I mean, I had guns pulled on me from people that had been foreclosed on and I had people crying, I had, you know, all kinds of crazy scenarios because when you do a foreclosure property, you're there from, you know, cradle to grave. Like you got to go to the house if they're still living there, you have to say, you know, you've been foreclosed on. You know, you got two weeks to get out, and I would hear all kinds of stories, or they'd be pissed off, threatened to kill me. One guy <laughs> got so pissed off at me, he spray-painted his whole living room interior and said, Raul's a faggot. No shit. <laughs> and I'm shit. like, how did you know first? Second. <laughs>
0: had his, had his Gator up I on high, guess. Take. It's like, that's bro. fucking crazy. <laughs> did you see me out? I mean, God. Uh, <laughs> I do remember. Like, what year is that? What, like, what time frame is this? So that's like, I think it was like, oh nine okay yeah because i remember like before i met you we just picked a guy off the internet um and i had no money anyway so it's like this guy i forget it i know his name i don't want to say it because maybe somebody knows him I don't hear it this dude has to fucking have hated me though because like i would like send him shit all the time i mm-hmm. literally had like ten thousand dollars like to, to my whole life at this point <laughs> and so but there but again 10 10 grand back then could get you a place because stuff here bottomed out so hard, like the yes. condo that I bought, the guy before me—I shared this before—the guy before me paid like 200k. Well, I got that shit for 50. Yeah. And so, like for five grand, I could get in the place. But I remember looking at like the place I ended up buying, and then like in the Biltmore, like the Biltmore condos, which is a nicer, is a nicer area, obviously yeah. in Phoenix. I remember going into those because Heather lived in the complex, and I'd walk in, and sometimes it would be like every cabinet would be like the doors would be ripped off. Or, like, doorknobs, light fixtures. People, like, dump shit down the toilets just to fuck up. Oh, yeah, them. they
1: would drop. They w- we would see, like, people putting cement down the toilets just to fuck up the plumbing. People would take, like, the cabinets. And I'm thinking, are you going to, like, install those in your rental? Or-? Like, li- lights, <laughs> light switch covers. <laughs> yeah. Like Well, was- you know, people were angry. People were angry. But, you know, at the same time, um, there was a lot of people buying homes that – That really they they couldn't afford. I mean, I knew, you know, and this is no dig at anybody who's in, you know, the the business of adult entertaining as far as stripping. But I knew strippers that
0: had, you know, five rental properties. And I'm like, how did you qualify for that? Well, because I remember, like, uh, when I got my house, this, the one I live in now, Ron Coon. He's oh, yeah, Ron. Porn stash, Ron. Yeah, he's got a great fucking mustache. Ron Coon Steel. But he's uh, that <laughs> fucking dude. Other than he's the only dude who, like, calls me by the wrong name. Like, he'd be like, hey, Scott, in the email, and I usually just delete you from my life when you do that. But he's so good. He's so good at what he does. Like, he would send these follow-up emails. He was great at what No, yeah. he 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 was fantastic.
1: I think he's still in the business, he might just be
0: retiring. What know. does he do? Mortgages, right? Yeah, mortgages. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I remember, like, him and I would asked him, I'm like, Because you have to, when I did it, the world was coming back. So you have Mm -hmm. to give your life. Where's your retirement accounts, all your money, all this shit? And I remember asking, like, how hard was it to get a house before? And he's like, dude, you could, like, come in on a Friday and we could probably give you keys on Monday. Oh, yeah. There was programs, no
1: income, no asset. I mean, I knew when I was in new home sales, people would come in and they would have a job, like a janitor, and they would be buying, like, a $400,000 house. And it's like, there's no way. And I and I would think, how are you going to like sustain this? This is not, you know what I mean. So it was a it was a it was a, a shit show in the making. You know what I mean? It was crazy. Well, how but, did
0: we how did we let that shit go on though? Like why?
1: I think it really boils down to greed, and I think that the that movie, The Big Short, like hit it right on the head. Like it just it, people just got greedy. Mortgage companies, you know, got greedy, um, and people were trying to. You know, buy stuff to impress. You know their families and neighbors that they
0: really just couldn't,
1: you know, do. So I think everybody played a part in, including real estate agents.
0: Was that so? Does it ever get bad for you around that time frame? Like I remember the world. I, I lived through it. Obviously, I, I've capitalized on all my real estates. I got super lucky. People are like, oh, Jeremy, you're so smart. I'm not. Mm-hmm. My life cycle has just worked out where like I could get a foreclosure. And get it, sell it, buy my house before it went crazy here and buy this place. It's kind of all just worked out. But, like, for you on the the selling side of stuff, when the world is melting down, are you getting destroyed in terms of, like, revenue from, like, you know, let's say 05, 06 to... 07, 08, 09. Does your income change?
1: Definitely. And you know, I had to make some life adjustments. Um, you know, I had my my son was going to a, a private Catholic high school. I had to pull him out of there and and send him to you know public school. Um, and there was a lot of different changes like that. I had to cut back on a lot of a lot of different stuff that I was doing. And you throw in the fact that here I am uneducated, and I didn't know how to manage money at that time. So. I was just like, you know, what am I going to do? Luckily, I didn't take, you know, as big of a hit as a lot of, you know, real estate agents in the business. But nonetheless, um, yeah, there was a lot of adjustments that, you know, had to be made. And it affected, you know, my relationships. The The one that I was in at the time, it really affected it. Because finances, you know, are the biggest reason, in my opinion, why people part ways.
0: I think you know it's the I mean? number one cause of divorce. Yeah. Is, uh, money fights are money problems. Yeah. Yeah. So are you talking like you're losing half of your salary, like half your income? Oh, yeah. Or more? If not more, yeah. That's tough to do.
1: Yeah, it was. But you know what? I was pretty resilient because I had been through so many crazy things in life. I thought, this isn't the end. You know, there was a lot of people that were, you know, dropping out of the business and changing careers and, you know, doing all that. And people had to do it to, to survive, but... I stuck with it. In fact, my business partner at the time said, I'm just going to go back to new home sales because it was a little bit more stable and you get a draw on new home sales and that type of thing. And I just said, I can't do it. I, I'm an entrepreneur uh, in my heart and soul and I'm just going to figure this out. And so, you know, as the, as the recovery began to start, I thought, you know what, I'm going to get into a different segment and that's luxury. So here we are about, you know, 09, 10. And that's when I started, you know, this um, this segment of luxury real estate.
0: So you're you've been doing it for at that time six, seven years. Mm-hmm. And so how does that even work? Like to me, obviously I've lived here and I've known you forever, mm-hmm. and I know how you are. I don't mean that. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't mean that negatively. <laughs> but you should see this guy's fucking outfit here. What is what kind of what car are you drive today? You drive this Mercedes, a hundred thousand dollar cars in the parking lot. And I've seen him drive nicer cars here, but. To sell like a house to a guy like me is has to be drastically different than the guy. And again, when we're saying luxury, I'm thinking because it's Scottsdale now, you know, obviously 2 million, 3 million, 6 million, 7 million, like that kind of shit. That's a big difference between selling a house for 39k at the fucking power plant. Now you're selling a $5 million house. Like how does that transition even start for you?
1: So how is it different or just the transition itself? Well, the the beginning.
0: So all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're like, you know what? I want to sell a $5 million house and not a a $50,000 house.
1: Yes, that's exactly how it happened for me. And that doesn't happen like that for everybody because everybody has a different mindset. But I've been of the mindset that I can achieve anything and I'm fearless. And when you have a nothing to lose mentality, when you come from shit and you have a nothing to lose mentality – it's just exactly that. You get up and you say, I don't want to sell $50,000 houses anymore. I want to sell $5 million houses. And so when I had made up my mind that I wanted to get into the luxury segment, I had to make some changes. I even considered changing my name because I thought that was a deterrent for, you know, some folks here in Arizona.
0: Well, you want to be like Ron Smith or something?
1: <laughs> yeah. Raul Smith. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> it's
1: very, it's very believable. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I've never I've been so, you know, lucky in the sense that I've never um experienced like blatant discrimination. I've never had I mean there's probably people that snicker behind my back, but I've never even had anybody really with the exception of one situation, um, even the gay thing. No one's really But you know, being gay is a very small part of who I am, so to speak. In other words, I'm a father, I'm a businessman. You know, I don't announce it. Just like when you walk into the room, you don't say, hi, I'm Jeremy, I'm straight. You know, I don't... I, I just... It's such a small part of who I am. It, it It's not something that I just, you know, talk about. That could be another reason why I've never experienced any kind of weirdness with the gay thing.
0: Well, like, I don't... And I'm, I'm just... I'm, I'm a dude from the Midwest, so I don't notice anything. I'm in... An, like, Heather, but, like, I got my hair cut. I'm like, I don't... Unless I see the bill for 400 <laughs> bucks, I don't give a shit. I'm a fucking dude. Like, we don't care about anything. But I do remember like when um. so you're working for yourself at this point in time i think when i met you probably Mm -hmm. or for paramount or
1: yeah so paramount was a as an entity that i started so i was working for myself yeah
0: so i remember you gave me the card your business card and i brought it home and i showed it to heather and she's like oh he's gay (laughs) and i'm like i'm 25 i'm like what i go what i go i just (laughs) met the dude i go don't think he's gay i'm like no nah, i think like his wife looks her or something he's like no he's gay for sure i'm like oh, okay it was that suit yeah she knew i think it was your haircut too or something yeah so she no, knew. everything's perfect all the time <laughs> that's how she knew because he's yeah. way too he's, he's way too, too f- put together He's way yeah. too fancy yeah. yeah
1: fancy i love that word
0: so <laughs> you're selling the, the stuff and all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're like i'm gonna sell expensive stuff but there has to be like a a shift there. Like I can't imagine.
1: So I started going where that clientele went. I had to figure out who my audience was and my audience was going to be affluent people that could afford, you know, a $5 million home. Where do they go? Where do they hang out? What do they do? And I started doing that. I, I got a... Uh, membership at the village. Um I started going to, you know, places like, you know, stake forty-four and all the other places were, you know, that are mm-hmm. positioned in affluent, you know, neighborhoods. And I just started networking. I mean I you know I've been told that I have a personality that draws people in. And so I used that um God given talent to do that. And I would just start talking to people you know, even though I'm gay, I'm a guy's guy. I love that, you know, m- straight male camaraderie between dudes. And so I've never had a problem connecting with guys on a platonic straight level. I've never had a problem meeting people. I love meeting new people all the time. And so I just started, you know, uh, connecting and networking. And somebody gave me a break and it just went there. I mean, I, st- I, I think my first big listing was six million, um, six million bucks. And It's um, a lot. It was. And I didn't know how I didn't know what I was doing, but I thought I'll figure it out. That's always been my, you know, mentality is I'll figure it out.
0: And how does it uh, how does it differ selling a six million dollar house compared to a two hundred thousand dollar house?
1: So from a sales standpoint, where I'm at in my career right now, it's it doesn't differ. So if, if somebody calls me up and says, Hey, will you sell my house for three hundred thousand, absolutely I'll do it. In fact I just took a listing in uh, Arrowhead Lakes today for 385. And and that seller receives the same level of service as I would a 6 million dollar one. It's selling so fast right now. I don't have to spend a ton of money on the marketing, but you don't gotta still still not got to do shit right now. I really don't. People
0: are, <laughs> people are being dumb. They're waiting 30 cars deep to buy a house paying over asking. I don't understand it, but
1: Yeah, so uh, you know, they still get professional photography. I don't, you know, you know, use my iPhone even though iPhones have come a long way with, you know, photos. I still Hire a professional photographer. We have beautiful collateral that's printed. You know, we'll do videos and, you know, we'll promote it on social media, et cetera. So that is the same. As far as the, the client themselves, it's just different. It's like a cat and a dog. In other words, it's still there's still a set of problems with an affluent buyer versus somebody that's, you know, buying or selling in a lower price point. They're just different problems. So, for example, maybe I have to educate a first-time home buyer and hold their hand a little bit more on the process Or maybe I don't have to do that for, you know, a a buyer or seller of a higher price point. But they also require a level of service and they have a level of expectation. Like they expect me to be at every showing. They don't want a lockbox on their house and, you know, that type of thing. So it's the same. They're just expectations are, you know, a
0: little different. It's kind of like uh, if I was to think of it like hotels. Like when you go, and I always ask this too, obviously, because of Heather, I've gotten to stay at like the ritz and all these places that my cheap ass would never really pay for (laughs) it's too much but when you stay at like a fairfield inn or a courtyard it's a certain kind of experience and service when you stay at a ritz carlton or saint regis it's a certain kind of experience and service and you expect it because you're paying more for it i think we can all kind of agree there and it's probably like how it is with some of these people where not that you're not giving the the best service you can at the courtyard but it's different and you can get away with more shit and i don't mean it like that though but Mm -hmm. if you're like saying hey jeremy I'm going to sell your condo, which you did for me for like a hundred grand or whatever it was back in the day. Yep. I don't give a shit. If you put a lockbox on it, just tell me when they're coming. I'll fucking leave. Yeah. But if that thing was 3 million bucks, I can understand where it's a little bit different. But
1: even then, man, my philosophy on that alone has changed over the years. Now, even if it's a $300,000 condo, I still show it. And the reason why is because no one, the, the the buyer's agent does not know the condo like I do, even, you know, no matter what. So even if it's a one-bedroom condo, I'm going to sell a lifestyle. I'm going to talk about the amenities. I'm going to talk about the walkability. I'm going to talk about – you know everything that goes on in that particular complex, and that buyer's agent typically doesn't have that type of information. They're not going to sell it, and they don't give a shit if their buyer buys your condo or the one down the street. They're going to make a sale, but if I'm there and I can sell them on mine, they'll buy mine versus going down the street. So we do—I would say 99% of the time—we do show the the property, even if um, you know
0: it's it's a $300,000 condo or not. That makes sense. I mean, yeah. it's just it's for you to put the time in and actually to get it sold as opposed to let it just sit there and, and hope. It makes more sense and brain anyway. Yeah. For you to do it that way, and yeah. how hard and how hard is it? It isn't. You just show up. Yeah. But real estate people, some of them are lazy. Yep. <laughs> there like, is. It's like fit, it's We're not a, all the same. No, I was gonna. <laughs> well, in the example I always give, fitness to they parallel each other because the barrier for entry to do real estate is not that hard. Nope. I could probably go past the test relatively quickly. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. So I wouldn't tell anybody to trust me to sell probably the most. And that's the crazy thing too. And I'll get to that in a second. Fitness is the same way. You could go get a cert probably in a month. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure like the CrossFit shit you can probably do in a weekend. The other ones probably would take you a month. So the barrier for entry is, is really easy. And I always give the Bobby Flay Waffle House example. Like the guy at Waffle House is a chef and Bobby Flay is a chef. They're not the same. Right. And real estate to me I'm not telling anybody what to think and you do what you want with your money. But if you're, you know, your cousin, Ricky is a real estate agent and he does it part time. Why would you trust his dumbass with the most expensive thing you're probably ever going to buy and sell in your life for most people their residential property that they live in because they're probably not going to buy commercial stuff they're not going to have multiple rentals or like a duplex or multi-unit thing so what they live in is the most expensive thing they ever buy and sell and they're going to trust it to somebody who does this shit part-time right that's just saying that should make you like freak out if you're doing that yeah it's crazy to me you would get somebody who this is their life This is all they do, because there's differences, because they can fuck up a lot of stuff. I imagine. Oh yeah, big time. So when you sell something that's six million bucks or five million bucks, somewhere in those price ranges, the the pool of of buyers is a lot smaller.
1: Um, yeah, it's smaller than than you know the average. I think the average is you know between five and seven hundred in our market, but yeah, it's definitely a smaller audience.
0: And does it take longer or about the same? Or I mean, obviously this, the, the Scottsdale Phoenix market is crazy right now. But does it typically take longer to sell something that's seven million bucks, eight million bucks, three million bucks? I'm sure there's like a sweet spot where it's two million, it sells here in two seconds. If it's six million here, it takes a little bit longer.
1: Yeah, I would say the sweet spot is you know one five to two five. You know sells on you know regular time frame. Anything over three million could take a little bit longer, depends on, you know, the market conditions. But yeah, it typically takes a little bit longer because like you said, the the audience pool is is shrunk. You know, not everybody can afford to buy, you know, a seven million dollar home. And there's times when we've had to go outside of the market to find, you know, a buyer. And so we have to be more aggressive with you know, our marketing campaigns and our PR and, you know, that
0: type of thing. What does that mean outside the market?
1: So we've gone to, you know, LA and we've gone to, you know, different uh, market areas and we've advertised and we've networked with brokers in those markets to, you know, see if they have somebody that wants to buy a second home or if they're sick of the high taxes and, you know, whatever market that's higher than, you know, Arizona. And we just get on the phone and we hustle. We've developed a great network of, um, you know, brokers where we could call from New York to Miami to Beverly Hills to San Francisco, and really, you know, reach outside of our uh, market to find a buyer for a seller.
0: And so, this is somebody who may have not even been looking in, like, let's say, where we live, Scottsdale, Paradise Valley, that area. But because you know, a guy in the who knows a dude who's like, well, he might just buy it as a secondary property. Or just a place to come vacation?
1: Yeah, I mean, part of of what I do is we have to give you the idea that this is what you need. And let me give you an example. So I have a great, fantastic stylist at Neiman Marcus. And what she does, because she knows I like fashion, she will just send me the latest Christian Dior high tops, for example. I may not be thinking of buying those shoes, but because she sent them to me on a Friday, I'm like, those are hot,
0: got to have them. I'll take them. What do those run a guy? I don't even know what you're talking about right now. What is it? They're like some what are they like a hundred bucks? There's, yeah, right. What does that cost? Just give me the number.
1: Uh the ones I have on right now are twelve hundred bucks.
0: Those are tw- I know you're uh, dying right now. I, <laughs> when you when I walked by you when I came in here, I thought those were uh Chuck Taylor's bro. No, bro. <laughs> you paid twelve hundred dollars for those shoes. Yeah. What do they do make you faster? They're like Air Jordans. They don't do anything but fuck with my self esteem. <laughs> I mean, what the hell, dude? See, that's what I'm talking about. This is the crazy shit here. The opposite of what, Well, I'm wearing these Nobles. They're actually free, I think. Those are badass. Yeah, they're tight. Yeah. But um, I think I paid zero dollars for this whole outfit. Well, this Twins head I bought. This is a Jeremy Scott T-shirt. Yeah, we're uh, we're about the same. So you basically do what the, you just reverse engineer. You're doing what your sales lady does.
1: That's exactly what we do. So if you know we have a. a, a you know, high dollar property that's on the market. We just start, you know, and we also send it out to, you know, brokers. Sometimes they have somebody looking and, you know, we'll send it to the, to a broker and they'll say, oh gosh, this would be perfect for, you know, so-and-so. In fact, right now I have a property that I'm bringing to market and I did just that. And uh, the agent that represented Michael Phelps and a whole string of athletes, she called me up and she said, "I this is perfect for my client. And If I wouldn't have put it out there in that manner, she would have, I mean, she would have taken them somewhere else. So it's a hustle. You know, real estate is not rocket science. I mean, I think that's why so many people get into it, but it's also not easy.
0: No, and imagine when you say broker, like to somebody listening, what's, what do you?
1: So real estate agent. So there's two, there's two, um, so a broker is somebody who's received their broker license. And it's just kind of what we call all agents. So there's an agent and then there's a broker. What's the difference the broker is uh, the broker of record is actually responsible for everything legal, so they have all the liability. An agent does not. An agent is pretty much invisible. So if an agent fucks something up in a brokerage, they always come back to the broker and
0: the, the brokerage is the house, basically. Yeah. So if you're, if I'm, you know, working at Keller Williams, they're the they're the house.
1: Yes, but there's also associate brokers. So if I can be an associate broker and not be the designated broker. So an associate broker is an, an agent that has their broker's license that is just selling, right? And then the uh, broker of record is the one who's responsible for the brokerage okay. the
0: legal and you know compliance aspect. Makes sense. So if we just go to across the border just so I can have this, the cheapest house you ever sold, 39000 Yes. Most expensive? $10 million. Is that here or no? Yep. Where at? <laughs> this is close arcadia that's so crazy dude we, we i don't live that far away yeah i, I to, know you live a few blocks off i that. used to live by your old house before you yep. guys sold it and how much did you sell that house for Six million. Six million. and the, that guy and paid. that
1: was a that was a, a break for that buyer believe me because there sick was 12 ho- million in it that's
0: a sick house yeah beautiful cash yes That's crazy. Some Mm -hmm. dude's like, I'm going to buy your house for six million bucks cash.
1: It's actually very typical on those price points. I would say 90% of the time um, on higher price points, it's cash. Um, Right now, we're finding that a lot of uh, clients that that are in that price point, their financial advisors are telling them to take a loan because money's pretty much free right now. Rates are ridiculously low. So there are some people that are doing some financing right now that wouldn't usually do it. Um, but for the most part, I would say ninety percent of our clients are
0: cash buyers. Just because they're that balling and they're like, "What's two million bucks or three million bucks?" <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I remember going to your. It was like your. I think it was your Christmas party. It was like your yes. last party you had there. Yeah, and you had a valet. Yes, and I didn't use it. <laughs> I, I told Heather, "I'm like, we're parking down the street. I'm not doing that. I'm not getting embarrassed <laughs> stuff in this bitch because your driveway was like." Cement squares with perfect grass in between.
1: Well, part of it was, and then it was gravel leading up to. Yeah,
0: you're, the garage at that place was cleaner than like the floor of my house. <laughs> it was crazy. I'm like, I'm not valiant here, dude. This is too much. It's <laughs> so way too fancy. How many fireplaces were in there? Oh God, there was I don't know eight. It was cool though. Like it's yeah. a, it's super neat. Yeah. But yeah, that's and I live two minutes from there. The yeah. fact that like and that's the crazy part about living. That's any major city, I guess but you can live in a place where there's a $6 million house and then go two blocks away. And here's a house for five, six, seven hundred thousand. 700,000. Yeah. And they're super close together. It's insane. Here, it right? was insane. Um, so if you look at, and obviously nobody can predict the future. I don't know. Like all I know is the markets here. And then I can hear from obviously friends of ours. Uh, it's crazy here. What's happening like with, the amount of influx of people coming here, how things have skyrocketed in price. Like this building we sit in is now worth double what I paid for it four years ago, which is nuts to to say, which is super cool in one note, but kind of freaks me out a little bit. Is there a chance that this dips or I don't want to say crashes because we're not wrapping these houses in shit like we used to when people actually have to have the money, Mm -hmm. but the trajectory it's on, like what do you see in the next year, two years, if you had to like, kind of guess
1: i i would think that within the next couple years it's going to slow slightly i don't think we're going to see so you know uh, uh, the appreciation will slow a little bit but i think it's going to remain on this on the same path uh it will slow up a little bit though because i'm sure that you know interest rates will creep up a tiny bit but there i don't see interest rates going up to you know six percent or anything like that i think they'll remain relatively low but i think Two, there's going to be a a little bit of a lull this summer because people just don't want to mess with it with all this competing and, you know, offers and, you know, that type of stuff. And, and, And especially in the higher price point, the summertime slows down anyway. But overall, I think that our market will, you know, be steady. It's not going to have, in my opinion, a dramatic dip. But I'm not an economist. I'm just telling you what, like, boots on the ground would tell you. You know what I mean?
0: Well, yeah, because then I look at it, like, I lived through, obviously, the meltdowns before, and I understand why it happens. The guy who I took advantage of obviously couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm. Either he lost his job or that payment was way too big or whatever it may be. I don't see that exact same thing happening here because we're not giving loans based on bullshit anymore.
1: Right. That's the other thing, too, is that the industry has become – you know, so heavily regulated as far as who is able to get a loan, et cetera, that it it, it puts almost these these boundaries in place, if you will. So, I, I don't see it, you know, becoming like a you know the crash didn't you know oh you know seven oh eight you know what I mean?
0: Well, yeah, and I don't know like other places like where I grew up, it's obviously drastically different from here. There's not this. I don't know how many people are moving here a month there's
1: uh, gosh it's insane a lot of them are coming from markets like california um in fact the last three sales that i did they were from northern california um san francisco sacramento so they sell um, a
0: house for four million or three million and they yeah. move here and they're like well shit." yeah we can get something super dope for two million bucks
1: yeah i sold a house uh, a couple weeks ago sight unseen they just you know we did a little video on my phone they are like, we'll
0: take it, and yeah, How that was the end of that. How much was it? 2.7. So some – let me just – I need to say this. <laughs> <out loud. laughs> I say it out loud, because I don't buy – I mean, I buy shit off Amazon, but if I don't like it, I can return it. Um, and it's like a 100 bucks, and I'm double thinking about it. These guys bought a home for $2.7 million, and they had never been there, never seen it other than photos and video. Yep. Like, is that not crazy, though?
1: It is and it isn't because technology has brought us – you know has has made our world pretty small and i mean they really trust us we have we've built you know credibility with our clientele and so because of that you know if we tell them yeah i mean the video is not showing this or you know what we didn't catch in the video was xyz you know we'd be completely honest and there's an inspection period a 10 day inspection period in most cases and so you know they flew down for the 10 day inspection period and they're like yeah we like it but uh, to submit the offer and commit, you know, financially. Yeah. They bought it sight unseen. It's become, it's becoming actually very
0: common. Well, it's probably cause they trust you guys though, more than anything. Oh yeah. Cause yeah. to me it'd be like, well, what is the neighborhood like? Like, what is it like in the morning at night? Like how does, you know, there'd be so many, th- cause I'm just, that's just how I am. And I'm a cheap ass. So if I had 3 million bucks to just blow on that, I'd be like, okay, I need to make sure this is super dope. No,
1: and I'm with you on that. Like I with housing, I'd probably go ahead and buy it because I know the business, right? But clothes, I don't buy clothes online.
0: <laughs> you got to try them I got to try it on. I got to look at it. I got to you know. <laughs> we used to go to the, like one of the only malls that exists. <laughs> yeah, I do. Fashion Square. Yeah. It's crazy to me that malls are like basically dead in the world and Fashion Square is the busiest thing it's you like ever seen. It's like a see.
1: tourist attraction. It's uh, insane. I
0: haven't been in there, but we have people who come here and they're like yeah i walk by um whatever the stores like louis vuitton and all those are like there's lines out the door oh yeah of people to get in which is it's just we live in it this is not the real world this is if this (laughs) is a fake ecosystem i I tell people who come i go this is not real it's so clean it's so nice like i'm i love it i'm happy i'm here but it's kind of insane to, to see it and watch and the point i'm driving is i don't is this become like I don't want to say like a Malibu in an Orange County cause it's not a good comparison, but do the prices ever really drop in Orange County? Like, do they ever really drop in the places where people really want to be? Because this is becoming a place where people, people really want to be. Yeah. Yeah. And so even if, cause I don't see, I don't look much. Heather does. She lives on like, what is that, uh, did you see it was like a, a Zillow?
1: Little... The Zillow thing on
0: SNL? <laughs> yeah, where like uh, David from uh, Schitt's Creek is on there. Yeah, And that's like the new porn. Yeah. People looking at fucking homes they can't buy and can never afford. Like, if we lived in North Carolina, we could have this. I'm like, we don't live in North Carolina.
1: Yeah, tell your listeners to look that up on uh, YouTube. It's
0: hilarious. Oh, it's amazing. It's, but it's true, though. My yeah. wife does it. She's like, oh, look at this house with the beams and shit. The only thing I ask, how much does it cost? Well, this one's three. I'm like, no. It's just off the table right away. <laughs> but that's what I'm driving at. It's like, I don't see any, when she shows me, I don't see, there's no foreclosures. Uh, There's no short sales. It's like that stuff mm-hmm. doesn't even exist. Whether that's because of like the pandemic stuff where they like said you can't do it or that just doesn't happen in our bubble here. You know, I think that
1: um, financial institutions now have created systems because of the crash and, and all the craziness that happened there that, will assist people in trying to come out of a, a bad situation. I mean, there still are foreclosures out there, but they're certainly not, you know, at the, at the level and the amount that, you know, happened, you know, back in, you know, 07. You know what I mean? It just, it, because banks now
0: know how to handle it and they work with people, et cetera. And it's better for everybody Yeah, that they do that. And that's where I look at it and I'm like, well, this, do things just keep, dra- like, kind of just going up here? And even if they were to go down, I don't think it benefits the average person for the fact of someone else would just swoop in and pay whatever price for it. Cause you're seeing that anyway now mm-hmm. where like someone's going to sell their house. Like again, there's people who come to my door and want to buy my house for three times what I paid for it, which is insane to say. And I'm like, okay, well if I sell it, where the fuck do I go? Right. Like it's just, it's, it's become so escalated where like the entry point to be where we live is like $700,000, $600,000. Mil- does it get to a million dollars?
1: So what our strategy is, is with people who we think are in that situation, like they're considering selling, but they don't want to be hassling because they don't know where they're going to go. Just like you said, what we do is we present them the option of where they're going to go first and we'll give them four or five choices and we'll say, do any of these appeal to you? And they're like, we love that one. And then. We'll do the deal on the new house and then sell the old house so that way they're not feeling, you know, displaced. Yeah. But that can't be for everybody because there's, you know, the average person can't qualify for the new loan if they have the old one there. Do you know what I mean? But then in those situations.
0: It's like contingent on if they sell their house. We'll, then we'll do a can...
1: contingent or we'll, you know, find a cool rental for them in the meantime or, you know, whatever. we'll, we'll you know, we're very solutions um driven like our mindset is of you know let's find a solution to the you know their issue their problem
0: because the inventory here is crazy low very low it's insane and how does that how do they rectify that in the next year they just build stuff and just hope it's at the same pace of people moving here or we just this is just what you got to navigate
1: yeah i think it's really going to be you know from a real estate perspective as a real estate agent i think it's just going to be you have to be strategic and you have to we're going to have to sell the person on selling their home as well as buying the home where before it was like their choice if they wanted to sell or not. Now we got to convince you to sell it and then, you know, show you where, where to go. I think that inventory will, you know, pick up. I think that people, especially with everybody working from home, a lot of people are remodeling, but a lot of people are using this, um, this equity increase, if you will, to cash out and, Go buy something else that they really like, maybe in a different area that they always wanted to live in.
0: Just keep on financing everybody. Oh, God. <laughs> just keeps going down the rabbit hey, hole. Hey, somebody's gonna do it. Even Let me be that guy. guy. You know, <laughs> well, that's why I say. I'm like, if they're gonna do, I'm like, you might as well be the person because it's gonna happen whether you want to or not. Yeah, that's I like
1: saying. that. That's a Chris Jenner
0: philosophy. Yeah. Well, I say I would be the worst realtor ever. It'd be like, Jeremy, this is what we want to buy. I'd be like, well, I don't know if you guys really need that. I think maybe something cheaper would be better for you. I've been trying to talk them out of buying shit, but that's why I'm not in the business. So, uh, commissions—just off the top—like, how does that, how does it work in general?
1: So, the industry standard. There's no set law that says agents have to make X amount, but the industry standard is typically um, when you're selling your house, you could probably expect to pay six percent, three percent to you know your agent that's selling it for you. And then 3% goes to the buyer's agent uh, that's bringing the buyer. Um, That's the typical. I typically don't discount my commissions because I know all the marketing and everything that we're worth. Uh, We do top-notch service. It's like White Glove. So I typically don't discount um, my commissions. But there are agents that do. And I think that the agents that do are probably not going to provide you the level of service. I mean, you get what you pay for. It's just like if I hired... You know, a personal trainer at a gym that's out of shape and is doing this to buy a sack of weed—that's a different guy than you.
0: like you know what I mean? Yeah, slightly. <laughs> yeah. I'm not against buying weed, but yeah. probably would be in shape. Well, so if you so you sell a million dollar house, thirty k, give or take. Yep, it's not a bad deal, bro. No. Not a bad So if you're working, so when the when you first starting out and you're like you're at a. Uh, a Keller Williams or a Remax or somewhere like where the house is there. The house takes a cut, I imagine.
1: Yeah, they, uh, and different brokerages work different. You know, the, the splits can be anywhere from a 50-50 split where you get 50% of the commission, the house gets 50% all the way up to, you know, 100% commission and you pay, you know, a, a processing fee, if you will, to the house. Um, it just depends on, on the brokerage and, you know, what they're offering and what works for your business model.
0: And so now you're... You got a new group now you started yes yes. and that's you and jack Yep. anybody else
1: uh yeah we have a team of about five agents um very knowledgeable uh young hustlers and when i say hustler i don't mean that in a negative way like they're gonna hustle you into buying something you don't need i just mean
0: grinders grinders
1: yeah they 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 you know they're ethical they want to sell you a home they're very knowledgeable in the luxury segment and You know, I think for us, we're shifting, you know, a lot of times we, Jack and I got pigeonholed into not getting certain segments of the business because they're saying, you know, you guys only sell these really high end houses, you know, how are you going to sell my $500,000, you know, property? And so now we're really focused on just offering excellent service across the board. So if you have a $500,000 property, you know, you're going to get treated the same way as if you have a $5 million property.
0: Well, I think it would only help, wouldn't it? I, I think so. Like, if you, I would have
1: someone like it's, it's more beneficial actually to the lower price points because they're getting the same service as, you know, a multi million dollar state.
0: Well, yeah, it's, to me, it's the, the equivalent of like attrition, Brenner on the podcast for movement restoration. They work on most of the Olympians, most of the NFL athletes. I'm assuming if you can take care of the NFL dudes, you can work on me. Oh, yeah. Because, like, these are, it's the highest level. And yeah. essentially, selling something for 10 million bucks is like the highest level. So if you can do that correctly, you probably can do the same thing for a place that's, you know, a fourth of the size and has less moving parts. Yep. So the biggest, if there's a misconception about real estate agents in general, if there's one that you guys, a narrative that you fight or things that you hear or just general things or no?
1: Uh, Yeah. And I think what it is is that we make a lot of money and we don't do anything. Again, real estate is not rocket science, but we do this day in and day out. Uh, we meaning me and my group, and there's a lot of other agents that this is their livelihood, this is their full-time job. Um, And so there's some, there's some navigating and some advice that needs to, you know, be had to go into it. I feel like, you know, reality TV shows um, have painted this picture that everything works out, it's perfect all the time, and it's easy. And it's not always like that. There's a level of strategy, there's negotiations involved. um, There's a lot that, you know, goes into a transaction that, you know, we earn our commission, you know, 100%. But I think that's the biggest misconception. I think that's another reason why a lot of people are like, Oh, I'll just do for sale by owner, or or I will, you know, I can get my license. And, you know, I can handle this. And, you know, sometimes you can if you're relatively intelligent. But, you know, when you're doing this day in and day out, uh, it makes a
0: difference. Which it seems like it'd be a hassle too. like, um, there has to be some, there'd be things I would miss, Like, I only have the bandwidth to do so much. It's why, like, I don't watch the news. I don't follow politics really close because if I do, I wouldn't be an expert in this, in what I do. Like, I don't have – I'm not that smart. I don't have the, 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 the mental capacity to be an expert at my stuff and be an expert at fixing my own car, fixing my own teeth, selling my own house. That's why we work with people who are experts in their field.
1: Well, it's like even, even with, you know, what you do, like, can I go to the gym and work out alone? Yeah. Can I eat right? Probably on my own if I really tried. Yeah. But you know, there's, there's, you're offering a service of accountability and, and knowledge At I mean, just let's talk about stretching. For example, (laughs) I didn't even think that was a thing until literally like a year ago when I thought mobility was (laughs) made up. Yeah. I thought that's a bunch of bullshit for like, like track runners or some shit, super old people. (laughs) Yeah. But it is real. <laughs> yeah, it is real. And you proved it to me because I came in here with some back pain, and you're like, "Yeah, stretch this, move your leg that way, you know, put this on the box," and I walked out of here with no pain.
0: What well, just you? What you guys do is it's kind of like success hack, or you you get us to the destination, but quicker and more efficient, and without missing two or three things along the way. Yeah, I it's, mean
1: it's like, and, and again another example, it's like hiring an attorney. I mean. You probably know, you know, the average person isn't, you know, stupid, and they probably know a little bit about, you know, law, but you hire an attorney to dig deeper and to really try to come up with solutions for your legal, you know, need. Same thing in real estate.
0: And with you guys, when people think like, oh, they're all balling out of control, and they don't really do shit, there has to be times where you're, I mean, killing yourself for a particular person buying or selling a place and going to, you're showing them multiple places, you're doing all this legwork that is hours and hours and hours in the back end that you're not getting paid for until a home actually is bought or sold.
1: That's right. And there's a lot of times where I've put in so many hours that I'm thinking, you know, the guy at the drive through window at McDonald's has made more money than I did on this deal. You know what I mean? Just going to work for the whole week. But then there's other times where, you know, right now the market's good. I just listed that little place in, in Arrowhead Ranch it's sold already in an hour.
0: That's crazy right now.
1: Yeah. And I didn't do anything i took photos of it i had our photographer go out take the photos and i have to still pay him but i probably didn't even need to do that
0: that's just gnarly (laughs) but
1: But then there's times you know when the market isn't so good and 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 the guys that are working nine to fives have that guaranteed check and i'm stressing out about you know how i'm gonna make the next deal so it's give and take
0: one if you ended up all the hours right i always go back to every hour like do i make a lot of money now yeah it's super cool But if I went for every hour that I've worked for the last 13, 14, 15 years, I make about two bucks an hour probably (laughs) because like of all the times I've sat and studied and like listened and like traveled to conferences and been part of mastermind groups or just have been here with people or when the people leave, like working on things that, that can help them be better. It's the same way with you. Like all the times like in 2003, four, five, six, you went to a restaurant and bullshitted with people for four hours. Yeah, it's kind of fun but you could have done anything else with your lifetime, but you spent it there doing that. Right. And all that foundation is built on what you get paid for today, which most people don't understand that. Yeah, it's about building relationships. So if you have somebody who's buying a house for the first time, is there like a, a mistake that the first time people tend to make or something that they're doing that's probably not ideal? Um, I
1: just think they're sometimes they're not educated on the process, and so we have to – educate them on the process you got to get qualified for a loan then we go look not the other way around Um, you know as far like when you ask what's what's a mistake that they could make what was the question
0: well for me like I when I I watch all these and we'll get to it too like these the HGTV shows Mm -hmm. again I'm a different person I listen to these people say shit that I literally have to walk out of the room like I can't even watch this anymore. Because <laughs> I can't imagine my old man saying half this shit where people will walk in. And again, I understand styles and things and I have none and that's fine. You walk into a place like, oh, this kitchen has to go. This shit's brand new. It's it's probably okay. But they go crazy. And even with like like uh, my mom and, and, and Dave buying a place, the expectations of people I think have become so fucking insane because of these shows. They think everything's going to look like Chip and Joanne and it's going to be exactly what they want, how they want and in this price point. And that's not reality for most people. So that's, I guess, what I'm saying is like, are people's expectations, have you seen them become drastically different over the years? Obviously, you guys sell luxury stuff, but you sell normal things too. Mm-hmm. Or are people kind of like, eh, that's just how people are.
1: No, I mean, I, I think there's a level of expectations that need to be set by the agent, and that's one thing that we do well. If somebody like know, if I
0: come to you and said, "Hey, man, I want to live, um, like, where? Let's say our Scottsdale. I want to live in Arcadia. Uh, I want to have an acre of property, and my budget's 700K." You're gonna be like, "You're fucking nuts, kid." <laughs> like, do you have to have that? Do you have to have that conversation? I do. Yeah. yeah, I have to have that conversation set expectations.
1: And what I'll do is, I typically will show somebody in that scenario the area they want so they could see what that area costs. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, it's just about setting expectations, you know, with some people.
0: You just kind of crush your dreams right up front. <laughs> yeah. Basically. I then mean, it only gets better from there. <laughs> what do you, I mean, do you tell them that like, Hey, you guys can't afford this. Like, do you, you, pro- do you have those conversations with people anymore or no?
1: I, I do sometimes. Um, it, it's mainly in, you know, the lower price points. And really what I just say is, you know, if, if, if you want that particular area with, you know, the wish list that you provided me, it's going to cost X. I don't say you can't fucking afford this. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> I mean, but that's really what I mean. That's you're, really what I'm saying. You're saying but. it in a polite way. Yeah. Like you guys have to come up with more money, but you <laughs> yeah. don't have any, so basically you can't live here. That's always that's a conversation we have at our house. Anytime <laughs> Heather shows me anything, she's like, "This is what I want." I'm like, "Oh, you got a, you're doing something different." I'm like. Is it, I'm not going to be working forever, girlfriend. So we got to figure this out. Um, So uh, is there anything like a bad agent can cost somebody? Like what's the – obviously it can cost them a lot of different things, but is there a major downfall of like going just with your your buddy because you want to help him out? over somebody who's experienced.
1: I think it's that lack of experience because, you know, an an agent can really screw up a deal because they don't know how to negotiate. They don't know how to finesse a deal with the other side. Um, They don't know the market. They don't know the market conditions. Um, And there's a lot of agents that are like that, that they they just don't take the time to educate themselves on what's going on, you know, in the here and now. And I think that could be a mistake because you know, like I said before, we're not all the same, and if if you choose an agent that does not have the knowledge, that does not have the experience to really get you through and navigate through the transaction, it it could be to a point where you're losing.
0: What's um, if you had a guess, like the just from doing it for 18 years or so, the like the attrition rate or the dropout rate of people who. They get into it. They're super jacked and they're hyped. And maybe it's somebody like you thought would make it, and all of a sudden they just it fizzles out and they quit. Like, is it is it a high quit rate?
1: I don't know the exact numbers, but it's not low. And even in my own group, I've hired agents who I thought were going to be fantastic. I used to think that. Um, I've had a couple of agents that uh, have joined my group. They're you know hustler go getters from the car business, and initially I thought. Wow, this guy is a hustler. The car business is not an easy business; it's tough, also. But what I what I realize is one of the reasons why um, th- this agent was not successful is because he had a captive audience with a captive product. When you're doing resale, you have to find the product, and then you have to find the audience, and that's not always, you know, easy. Once you do do that, it just, you know, rolls pretty smoothly, but. That's the biggest, the biggest problem for people getting into the business right now is that they don't know how to find the product and they don't know how to find the audience. So that's why people that not just in the car business, but people that even come out of new home sales, because in new home sales, you have the models that's, you know, the captive product. And then you have the captive audience that comes in right off the street and they're just constantly running through those models. So it's a whole different, you
0: know, world when you get into resale. So like when someone's doing new homes, you're talking like they're working with a builder.
1: When they're working with the builder, and like, you know how the builders create like you know three different floor plans, and like, they Toll, have, like
0: Toll Brothers or something. Yeah, like,
1: like Toll Brothers or something like that. All great companies, by the way. But you know they they have a product, and the salesperson has something right there, readily available to sell. Right? Where in my world, I have to go find that product. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. So how does that work? So for like people who are listening, like so if I drive by and I see like I just use Toll Brothers because it's popular here, like you pull up and like they have the the main little office area and Cindy's the the person there. Mm-hmm. So Cindy only works for them. Cindy only works for them, and her fiduciary responsibility is to uh,
1: the the builder, Toll Brothers, uh, in this in this case. And so when you're going to buy a new home, a lot of people think, well, I don't really need an agent, you know, to do that because they're really nice to me and they're gonna help me, and they will, because there's a lot of people that walk through without, the, without an agent, but the salesperson is going to do what's in the best interest of the builder always. And there's a lot of little things that, you know, like if I was representing, let's just say you and Heather decided that you wanted to buy a brand new house from Toll Brothers. I would go in there and I would negotiate, you know, can you throw in a washer and dryer? Can you make sure that they have window coverings? Can we, you know, bring the earnest money down a little bit? And I understand that business very well because I know what they can and cannot do. The salesperson that's sitting in the model home is only doing what they are told by management. But the manager, the sales manager has margins that they can work with and you can still negotiate price on a brand new home. No shit. Yeah, but a lot of people don't know that. They think I'm just going to go in, that person is really nice, but they don't realize that you're not being represented. You're the the person in that sales office is doing what's best for the builder, not you. She works for the house. Yeah. And the
0: house pays her. That's right. So it's in her best interest to just.
1: Well, they're I'm prob- not going to bite the hand that feeds her. And she or he. I'm not Yeah. In a, you know, in our society, I can't say certain things.
0: Yes. <laughs> we say Cindy in this, wh- whoever he, she may be. Yeah. Like, Cindy's a dude. Yeah. Well, well, when, well, like if they put it in, they are just they and they're probably, they're not in control either. They're like when you call DirecTV, you're just talking to like somebody on the phone. Yeah. Right. They're basically just doing a task. Yeah. So it's in your best interest, even if that's what you would have purchased, that you have your own agent who comes in, who's experienced, and that's how you buy your stuff.
1: Yeah, like there's been times when I've represented a buyer in a new home scenario. And a lot of times what the the builder will do is they'll say, we'll give you a $10,000 incentive if you use our lender. I've negotiated for buyers to still get that incentive, and they can use whatever lender they want to. They don't have to go with the the in-house lenders, but a lot of people, they don't know that. And, 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 and rightfully so. I mean, you go in and, you know, in this case, Cindy's really nice. And, you know, she's helping you pick out flooring and all that and you're all excited and you think it's all for your good, but there's, there's money left on
0: the table definitely in those situations. So you guys are the way that I look at it is you kind of, you do all the technical things, but you're really just, you're an advocate to get your client the best possible deal for what they're looking for. Yes. And without it, you're kind of, you're going to get, I don't want to say screwed, but you're. It's like, i It's example. like
1: representing yourself in court,
0: or if you were to do your own taxes,
1: Th- that's a perfect example. You'll always lose fucking money. Yes.
0: It's better. Like I would. Like obviously, our stuff is so complex now. Like when Chris calls me, I have fucking just a sheer panic attack. <laughs> called me. <laughs> Call me three times yesterday. I'm just like, oh my god. Like I'm just sweating. Like this <laughs> feels so. I hate. I <sighs> know. I hate this time of year too. When it's I was, awful. and I, I said this when you came in. I'm like, when I was so poor. And Deb broke. It was so much worse, but so much easier because like it's just so basic. But for me to pay him a couple grand a year to do this, he's saving me so much more than that. There's things he's saying yesterday that, and I I try to be as educated as I can. And I learn a lot, like in terms of finance, taxes, Mm -hmm. like how to offset things and, you know, essentially kick things down the road and all the shit we do. This is what he does all day. And you guys are that version with buying a home. That's right. So if, it could, so if I'm going to pay you a commission of 3%, but if I look at you actually saving me more than that, like it's a win-win for you and for me.
1: Yeah, and the plus about it, if you're a buyer, you don't pay anything. The seller is the one who pays the commission to the agent. So if somebody were to say, Raul, help me find a house, you're not paying me anything. Where I make my money is from the seller.
0: That's crazy. So when I sell my house, I got to pay. Yep. That's some bullshit. <laughs> I forget. It's been so long. Like I've lived in there forever. Uh, so for if it's new home sales versus like, so obviously they're getting fed by the house because they're selling for a, essentially a company. They're, you know, they work for the brokerage, if you will, or just the, the builders. How are you finding properties? You just go on, like search the internet all day or how does that work for you?
1: You mean if you're looking for a new, a new home?
0: Well, just no, no, if you're not. So like, let's say that you know, Cindy works for Toll Brothers and I use them as an example. Oh yeah. That's that's their their captive product. How are you grabbing stuff and how are you, you're just finding MLS stuff? How does it work for you guys? So who all work on your own? Not just you, but every guy who's a, their little solo entity.
1: So when we're looking for a home from a client, it's a couple ways. Um, you know, we have a network of, of agents that we have great relationships with and we'll call them first and we'll say, hey, do you have, you know, a home in Paradise Valley with, you know, five bedrooms and a four-car garage or anything coming up that we don't know about, et cetera. And then, you know, the MLS is probably the main, you know, way that we search. Which everybody, everybody
0: can find those, right?
1: Yes, because the MLS then feeds to like, you know, uh, Realtor.com and Zillow and all of those other places. Yeah. And, you know, now our industry has evolved from us being uh, givers of information to interpreters of information. So, you know, you could you and Heather could sit, you know, online and have a glass of wine and look at all kinds of houses. Or you could even stop by an open house when you guys are on, you know, the way to AJ's because I know that you shop at AJ's.
0: bro. <laughs> <Girl. laughs> AJ's is about right next to Whole Foods, <laughs> like about the biggest rip-off shit in the world. AJ's is nice. Don't get me wrong. But so, dude, I, I'm going to tell a story here really quick. There's a AJ's. So my car was almost out of gas one day. And I'm driving down Scottsdale Road, which now I always usually take Hayden because it's faster. Because there's too many people here. And the Scottsdale Road got real fancy when you get past the park here. I mean, Fat Ox is there, all that shit. And there's a AJ's over there. Mm-hmm. But there's also a gas station. Yeah. Sinclair. Yeah. Um, gas is like nine bucks a gallon there And they pump it for you I don't think they let you pump your own gas, do they? No, they don't um, What the fuck is that? So I go there in the summer Because so, yeah. <laughs> so, I don't want to get out for the rich people. You know, I come I, from
1: the ghetto But I refuse to put my own glass when it's 110 outside Yeah,
0: I made the mistake of going to the rich people gas station Because it was <laughs> a mistake I'm like, it's too much for me But yeah, I got caught up over there doing that nonsense and you had buyer's remorse i'm like i'm like dude why are you what can i just get out of the car he's like no and it was like way more expensive I'm like this is just dumb yeah i forgot where i was going with that whole oh, story what was i even talking about
1: aj's and probably hots, like overpriced for your taste <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's crazy. Um, but no, I was talking about the MLS stuff, like yeah. when uh, looking at stuff. Well, that's actually how we found our house. Like we had – I just found – Heather found it. Yeah. And I sprinted there, and you met me there. Mm-hmm. And then we put an offering on that, which is crazy.
1: Yeah. I mean, it happens, you know, often. And, and, and an example of that is a couple of years ago, we sold a $2.8 million house. And I sold it on an open house. I was sitting this house open. This couple came in and they're like, oh my God, we love it. And I said, are you working with an agent? And they said, yes. And I said, who's your agent? And they said, you know, Joe Schmo. So I call, I said, can I call Joe Schmo and let him know that you're interested? And they're like, yeah. So I called Joe and Joe was like, Raul, I would have never showed him that house. And I said, why? And he said, because they said they only wanted, they had to have a four car garage and your listing only has a three car garage and they when the point is they came into this open house and they found a compensating factor and in this case it was the backyard and so again you know people are going to be out and about doing their thing people aren't waiting on the agent to load them up in the car anymore and to drive them all over town i mean because there's so much access online now and open houses and that type of thing that you know people are just able to do it on themselves or for themselves but it's the transactional part that really gets us in, and you know what what is this house really worth, and what can you get us you know down to, and how can you negotiate those? So the internet That's where we come in. the
0: internet's made it easier for you guys a little bit
1: a little bit,
0: yeah, well, again, it's like, just
1: shifted a little bit. It's shifted what we do and but, how we do it.
0: Well, yeah, what's the point of driving around and looking at ten places if you think eight of them are shit, yeah like you just do the two right off the bat. Because the, the photos and the tours and the things have gotten so good for the most part.
1: Yeah. And there's more investment on our end on that, in that front. So, oh, because we've become...
0: photos, yes. everything. Yeah. yeah. And
1: it all has to be, you know, top notch, especially on a luxury property.
0: Well, dude, it's weird though, because like I'll see some stuff where, and it's rare. Most, most I would say most things that like Heather will show me, or like even when uh, Janet and Dave were looking for properties, mm-hmm. most of the photos and videos are pretty good. And some of them are dog shit, though. How is that still even going on? You know, I think it's, it's be- lazy.
1: It's because uh, that particular agent, some way, somehow, for some reason, is trying to just cut costs. And so there they are with their iPhone. And again, iPhones have come a long way. Oh, for sure. But lighting is still huge. It doesn't matter if you have a great iPhone if, you know, you're shooting a room with the ceiling fan light on. <laughs> I mean, it's bad. Yeah, it's not, not, not showing showcasing that home in the best light.
0: Do you guys uh, stage stuff? Uh, we do both uh,
1: physical and virtual. So we've had um, situations where we've had a, a property virtually staged. So what we do is we photograph the house, it's empty. and then we have a company that comes in and places furnishings in the house and it looks real. It does not look like it's you know digitally enhanced, but that's exactly what it is. And so what that does is that draws, you know, it captures an agent or a buyer's attention. And then when they show up to the house, it's empty and then it's our job to, you know, get them excited about the property again and sell them, you know, on what they saw in, you know, the photos, because it's all just furniture.
0: And do you typically tell people to do certain things like when they're getting ready to sell their stuff? Like, hey, take this shit down, put this shit away, get it cleaned. Like, is it just basic advice you give anybody?
1: We do, and we try to get people to kind of depersonalize as much as possible. A lot of people are still living there, and so they use their toaster every day. But what we say is when we have a showing, can you put the toaster under the counter so that we could showcase, you know, the counter space and, you know, make it look a little bit depersonalized. We tell people typically to, you know, clear up any, you know, personal photos, you know, of, of their family and things like that. Um, just to depersonalize it because some, but we have to paint a vision of how that particular buyer is going to live in that house. And they can't do it if, you know, all your clutter is, you know, everywhere. So, yeah, we do give advice. In fact, we've rearranged furniture at times. We've rearranged furniture and then put the furniture back once we've shown it. I mean, we go through all kinds of craziness
0: to showcase a property. Well, I imagine because it's like anything. you got to game it a little bit. yeah because yeah. like if your closets are small and you got a bunch of shit packed in there I'm like it's looks <laughs> it's a bad look. Yeah. So you got to get your shit out of there. Yeah. Basically.
1: And there's a lot of people in all price points that don't have imagination. They can't see how they're going to live in this particular house. I mean, I've had people gripe about paint and it's like that's an easy fix, paint it white. I know you don't like a pink room, but what if you just paint it white? And there's a lot of people that just don't have a vision. And so that's another piece of our job as an agent is to Create a vision and to sell, you know, a lifestyle in that particular house.
0: Well, it's weird because, like, I'll, you know, Heather will watch, she's one of those people who gets the Zillow porn and (laughs) still watch like HGTV a ton. And we see this stuff, and I'll listen to the obviously the comments just kill me because, hey, they're all these are all luxury problems. You're on TV, you're buying a house, like, you fucking won. Shut up. (laughs) Uh, But they'll go in there and be like, oh, God, this, you know, these appliances are terrible. Like, of all the things, like I understand it's a couple thousand bucks, but if you're looking at a place for $700,000 and you got to spend five grand on appliances, who gives a shit? Yeah. Like that's such an easy fix. If you like like the earth, like the things I always look at are how, like, where is the neighborhood? Cause you can't change that. How big is the space you're trying to buy? Like the things that are, like would take mountains to change, or even if you could change them, yet people are pissed off about carpeting, paint or appliances. Which is really crazy to me because we we have such just this, this focal point on that because oh we can't see ourselves in there even though like those are easily changeable.
1: Well, in real life, you know that's why I have to be at the showing because again, the buyer's agent is going to say, "No worries, let's go to in the next house that has the appliances you want." If I'm there, I'm like, "No, no, no, we can get you the appliances you want. Let's negotiate that into the price, or let's put that in as an ad that you want." You know the. You know, the new microwave or whatever it is. Um, you know, on those TV shows, I think they the producers create scenarios for them. And a lot of those objections are just bullshit. They're not even real.
0: I just can't. I'm like, why would you let them film you sound like such a dick on TV? <laughs> like, you sound like a whiny asshole forever. And now that's how I know you. I get, like, most of those. I think on those shows, they already bought the house, right? Yeah. And then they just go back and, like, let's look at these two just to, like, fuck with it a little bit. Yeah. Which is so t- And we watch it. It's like... HGTV to me is the adult equivalent of like Ryan's toys. Like yeah. I remember watching like Monica's kids watch Ryan open up presents. I go, why are your kids watching other kids open up shit they're never going to get? <laughs> and then I go home and I'm like, this what my wife does. It's <laughs> the same thing. We do, we're still doing it. It's crazy. So uh, if it's uh, open houses, do you still do them? I do. Yes, and I still do them because. I
1: feel it keeps me humble it keeps me grounded and it keeps me in the game you know what I mean it's it's I I will probably always do an open house from time to time I don't think you know there will ever come a time that I, I won't you know what I mean.
0: Well, it just, it helps too. I can't imagine it hurts. You're going to meet, it's again, that's your personality though. Like you network, you meet people, you're good at it. You like it. I'm like, it's, it's, what's the, you're just planting seeds. Well, and I'm
1: of the mindset that I'm not going to ask anybody on my team to do something that I'm not willing to do. And so, you know, some of these younger agents that are coming to the business, I'm like, you should have an open house. And I educate them on the reasons why. And a lot of times they look at it like it's just a chore. And if they see me doing it and they see how, you know, I look at open houses as an opportunity, not like I'm going to some retail space to, you know, put in my hours. Then it changes their perspective a lot of the time.
0: Well, I think, and again, I don't know, like, how you, like, we've, you know, I get a lot of people, like, i we need to hire somebody else here. It's tough to do, because there's, I mean, most people are crazy. I just need a nice person. But a lot of the younger, and again, I sound like an old person now that I say this. But they don't want to eat shit. And I don't want to sound like an old person, but, like, I had no problem doing the shit work. And I Mm -hmm. still don't. Me either. I I lived through the COVID pandemic where they told me I couldn't come to my gym. And I fucking hung out with people at 5 a.m. in a park, sweating my balls off. Like, it's not fucking fun, but I'll do it for the community and the culture. And I remember doing it forever, eating shit that way. And I'm like, it's just, it's part of coming up. And, like, I'm never going to be too big for any of that stuff. Same here. But sometimes these younger guys are like, I don't want to do that. I'm like, well, if you, in my opinion, if you don't do that, you'll never a get to this point. And if you could get to this point, you'll never appreciate it because it wasn't fucking hard for you. Like right. you kind of skated through to it. And when things do get hard, like a pandemic or like the 0708 meltdown, you can fight through it. I'm like, cause you might have to start doing open houses. You might have to start doing shit outside if that's what it calls for. And I see that with like, younger kids, and I'm sure you see it too with the young agents. While like, ah, eh, I just want to do what you do, and I'm like, well, dude, you didn't do the first 18 years.
1: Yes. So you can't do it. No, you're absolutely right. And you know, I, the the next generation, they're they're pretty interesting. And I sound like an old guy too, but you know, there's a lot of stuff that is wrong with them because you know my generation and you know people in their 50s now who raised them messed out all up. But there's a lot of great things about these young people, too. I mean, they understand technology, like oh my nobody's God, business, and how to reach people. I watch these
0: fucking kids here with iPads, and they know <laughs> how to use the iPhone. I'm like, I go, when I was eight years old, I was shitting my pants. I barely know how to play Nintendo. You guys have mastered that. So they, there's a lot of great skills, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, is there advice you'd give to, well, I want to go before I do that. Um, what is open door, by the way? So
1: open door is a concept where essentially it's like an open house and you just pretty much walk in. And if you like it, you know, you write an offer. The agents that they have on staff are pretty, it's almost like uh, they're on a rotation and they don't necessarily even know much about the house. They just, you know, when a call comes in, they're the ones who get picked to handle it. And, you know, that's it. Um, Will it catch on? I mean, it, it might or might not. I still think that real estate is a relationship-based um, business, and I still, pe- still think that people are going to want to, um, you know, communicate with a knowledgeable agent, especially in the luxury um, segment. As, as time progresses, though, like the, the kids that are playing with these iPads that are five years old, I'm sure that's going to evolve when they're adults and it'll change you know, slightly, but I still think that it'll always there. There always will be a need for you know a real estate agent. I don't see us going away. And there's a lot of people in the industry that don't agree with that. It, and it's typically the ones that are very technology heavy, like you know, Open Door.
0: Like some of the younger, like, is there people you've actually met who are like, yeah, you guys will be non-existent in 20 years, 10 years, five
1: uh, years? I think as an industry, there's some people that are out there that are saying that. I don't believe it. And well, by then, I don't give a shit because I'll be retired. <laughs>
0: As I'm saying, you're like, oh, fitness will only be digital. I'm like, well, I'll have enough money and I'll be rich, so I don't give a shit. Um, <laughs> exactly, fine, too. Yeah. Uh, I did it right in the archaic ways. Well, to me, when I just, I was just curious because I'm like, I see the, it's not that far, Like, it's over by pitch. Like, there's like an open door office or something, so I sometimes will see the sign or whatever, and I'm like, I couldn't imagine, and, and, but I'm old school, too. Like, I like the, there's a human element that I don't ever want to, I don't want to do, I'm not going to do the podcast on fucking Zoom. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing the podcast on teams. I get people who are like, Hey, Jeremy, I'm a doctor from Oakland. Uh, I want to do the podcast. I'm like, when are you in Scottsdale?" Well, I'm not going to be. I'm like, well, you can't come on dude. Cause mm-hmm. I don't, there's something you miss with it. There's not a conversation. It's not the same. And if I had a house that's worth 2 million bucks, do I want to just call some random number and have somebody just maybe sell it for me? Yeah. I don't, there's something that feels off about that to me anyway, but maybe I'm old school. I don't know.
1: I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, I think we touched on it before. It's probably the biggest, most expensive investment that you'll ever make. And I can't see just saying, oh, yeah, just have whoever's in the queue
0: handle it. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a good move.
1: Yeah, and I could be a little bit off on their business model. I have not educated myself, to be quite honest with you, on, you know, the ins and outs of the open door business model. So, you know, don't send, you know, hatred (laughs) It's it been texts a and emails, but it's it's along those lines. They've been around for a couple of years. Yeah. I mean, they're they're doing something right. People are using them, but I think but it's just ne- people I've that- But I've never met anybody. Like, I that's have never why met I, anybody that, that used them. That's but it's I the ask. same like Carvana. I know a couple people who've bought a car, you know, online, but they're again, like clothes. I have to see it. I have to touch it and drive it. You know
0: what I mean? <laughs> like, oh, I see the Carvana uh, tower. It's like, there's one uh, like Scottsdale Tempe. Mm-hmm. It's like a big elevator. Yeah. I would never buy a car that way.
1: I, I wouldn't either, but there's some people that you know are good with it, I guess. And I guess they provide enough
0: data. I don't know enough about it though to speak on it either way. No, but I'm also a cheap ass and I'm old school, <laughs> so that's uh So if you gave advice to um, to like younger agents who are coming up and who like they see, you know what you do, or you know mostly what people see is like they see the lifestyle, mm-hmm. and they're like, well, I want to do what he does. He sells five million dollar homes. He drives a Benz. He wears fucking $1,200 shoes. I want to do I want to do what this guy does. Like, what is your advice to to these guys?
1: Um, I would say get your mindset right. This business is uh, tough. Um, You know, only the strongest uh, survive, so to speak. Uh, And I think it all boils down to mindset. Um, If I think every Success and every failure that I've had in this business and in my life personally all boiled down to mindset. Either my mindset was shit, or it was fantastic. And you've seen my journey. I mean, I've come in here fat. I've been thin. I've been muscular. I've been fucked up. I mean, you've seen this roller coaster uh, ride with me. This, and is it the, all,
0: this is the best shape you've been in, though. Yeah, I think overall. Yeah, like in terms of like this is how if you don't I mean, if you want to talk composition, like the is in terms of being lean. But also muscular, and just like you're the fittest you've ever been. You're eating yeah. the best you've ever been. Your habits are better. You can do, you do terrible shit here, like workouts that I think are miserable. And you just, <laughs> you don't really talk shit. You just kind of go through and do them.
1: Yeah, I, 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 just, it, it all boils down to mindset. And am I perfect every day? No. I mean, there's sometimes when I'm get
0: up and I'm like, fuck, Jeremy. <laughs> But like, <laughs> I like. I live in my body, and I say it to myself too, dude. I hear you. Yeah, but that we all. But it's it's showing. It's to me. I always say this. It's showing up the days where you're like, fuck it, I don't want to do it, where you drag your ass in and you get it done. All of a and you're like, yep, just it's going to compound for the future.
1: Yeah, just embrace you know the pain. But to agents, I would say the reason why your mindset has to be strong if you're thinking about getting this business because this business will um emasculate you it'll make you feel like you're an idiot it'll it'll make you feel like you're not knowledgeable I mean it it'll 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 mind fuck you if you let it you know deals fall apart your competitors will mind fuck you you'll sit there on social media and you'll see a guy your age you know that sold you know a couple million dollar house and you're thinking he's a dumbass. like how did he do that and you start mind fucking yourself Um if if you have a strong mindset like in anything in life, then you'll be, you know, successful. The I I think the reality T V shows and I'm not talking about the, you know, fix and flip ones. I'm talking about like um, you know, million dollar listing New York, million dollar listing LA. And I know a lot of those guys personally and they're great guys, but they never show them lose. And I wish that the producers would show them lose hard. Like The fucking client called and said, fuck off. You're not going to sell my house. You fucked up. And, you know, that's into that. But the deal always works out. (laughs) That's not real life. And I see these agents that want to get into the business and they look at that and they think that they're going to become, you know, these millionaires. And there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears
0: that goes, you know, into this into this job. It's a hustle when you take losses, too. Like, oh, big time. And when you watch, like, even, like, the flipper flop stuff, because Chris was on, and he's doing some stuff with Torek and them, and I said to him, I'm like, on those shows, even when, like, 10 things go wrong, at the end, they always sell the house, and it's like, oh, and still made a profit of 20 grand. <laughs> That's bullshit. It is. Like, do you know how many L's those dudes have taken over the years? Like, yeah, when you, when you build up enough money, like, you can fuck up, and you can probably still be okay, but there's still deals where you're losing money on. It's like me here. It's like every day isn't great. Like there's days where I take, and that's the difference too. Like in my world, if we do something and it's, it's a deal where we get a sponsorship or something is it's $50,000. It's a hundred grand. I make a hundred grand. Like that's Mm -hmm. my fucking money. I can drain all of it. I can spend it. I can save it. I can do whatever. You guys are the same where I'm assuming now, if you don't sell shit, you make $0. That's correct. It's all commission. That's a rough place to be, bro. There's no reoccurring. It's mm-hmm. just
1: that's why you all you can never rest on your laurels. You can never become complacent in this business because, you know, if I made a hundred, you know, thousand last month, I still got to hustle the next month. You're only as good as your last sale. Bottom
0: line, yeah, that's like the hardest part. I don't think I. I don't know, man. I've never. I just thought about that now for the first time. Like, if you – like, when you're paying estimated taxes, it's got to be, like, the hardest – I'm sure you get, like, some kind of forecasting. It's awful. <laughs> but how how the fuck – I don't even know how you can do that. Like, when you sit and talk to him, like, at least for us, like, we can look at – I can look at every August from 2009 till now, mm-hmm. and I can see, obviously, the, the progression. But I know I'm going to – it's Scottsdale. So the gym in person is always going to eat shit in the summertime. It's just mm-hmm. part of it. So I'll know, okay, if I'm going to, you know, drop 10K here – I kind of know what it is, but you have no clue. No, we don't. That's rough. man. Yeah,
1: it is rough. And that's another part of it that a lot of new agents don't, you know, take into consideration uh, when they're trying to get into this business. But, you know, I have to say, you know, this business has provided a great life for me. And, you know, for a guy that uh, has a lot of street smarts, but no, you know, formal education as far as college goes, uh, you know, I've made, you know, I've been very fortunate and been, you know, blessed. Uh the business has been, you know, very good to me and it's almost it's like it's addicting. It's like a bad relationship
0: with great sex. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you're your dark passenger. Yeah. You can't get like is there ever a time where you do want to quit?
1: There has been,
0: and but it's been when my mindset has
1: been weak cuz I believe I can accomplish anything if you're fearless and and you know you you grind, right? But There are times where, you know, my mindset gets weak and I'm like, fuck this business. And I just want a nine to five. But I know in my heart of hearts,
0: you know, I'm addicted to the
1: deal and I, I wouldn't be happy.
0: No, I, I tell Heather all the time, like she'll sometimes be like, I don't know if I want to do this. I'm like, none of us do. Like, I think we're all full of shit. We're all 17-year-old kids, like, faking being adults. Like, I've, I feel, at least I feel, I mean, look at my office. You can tell it's a fucking joke. Um, but I'm like, I wake, and I love fit. I love fitness, and I love so many things about it. But there's days where I'm in here, and I'm like, and I literally will look in, and be out here by myself, and I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Right. Like, what am I, and I'm sure people hear me say, like, oh, Jeremy, you do all these good things, and we love your stuff, and that's super great. But I even question my own sanity sometimes. I'm like, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? 'Cause I might have four things go wrong within like an hour. Right. And you're just putting out fires all day and you feel like you're not making progress and you're not productive and it's just a small bump in the road and that happens at every job. But even I question it, so I was curious if you're just like Oh yeah, I have my days for like, sure. Oh, this sucks, dude. Yeah. But let's like you're so far into it now, it's kinda like it's like you're married to it. What else am I gonna do? Let's- <laughs> That's what I said, too. I'm like, well, I guess I could, like, you know, go cut grass or some shit. I don't really know. I'm like, but it's hot as fuck here. I'm like, oh, it's right. I mean, I'm down for a side hustle, but, you know, my core is what I do now. Yeah. Yeah. And you've put so much time into it. It's like. Yeah. It's who you are. It's a big part of, like, of who you are as a person. Yeah. So the last thing, if you were to give advice to somebody who's looking to buy a house, like, today. Whether it's in our market or there's just general information or things you'd be like, hey, here's the things I would make sure I would do before I, you know, invest this huge chunk of money I've saved.
1: Yeah, I would say you know, get ready to be patient because right now in our market and it's pretty much nationally. I mean, some areas are hotter than others right now, but I would say you know we're looking at. You know, multiple offer situations where you're competing. I mean, I've had to write love notes to the other agent, you know, telling them why, you know, my client should be picked for that particular house. My mom did that, yeah, for you, her house. You got to do that, and 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 it, and sometimes it resonates with the seller. They're like, oh, they're sweet, and they really appreciate the architecture. We want to sell it to them, right? Um, so I would just say, you know, get ready to be patient. Have all your ducks in a row. If you're financing, get pre-qualified um if you're paying cash, you know, have your um private banker, you know, write a note saying that, you know, you're able to purchase the property, you know, in cash. And most people at that level, you know, already know that. But, but um, What about this overpaying shit?
0: Like what's up with that?
1: You know, that's happening right now. Um in fact, I'll give you an example, uh the clients that we had that purchase that property site unseen we had put in an offer on another property that they were interested in and ours did not get accepted and so I called the agent and I said you just give me some background because I got to explain this to them and they said well we took an offer that was $200,000 over asking and I'm just
0: (laughs) that's crazy dude.
1: yeah 200k over asking that's a lot man it it is and but see there's no appraisal involved because they're paying cash so we didn't that they didn't have to you know, worry about it not appraising. And people are just buying what they want to buy. You know, when you have the money to do it, I guess they're like, you know, we'll recoup it sometime, you know.
0: It's insane to – I mean, it's all sta- – I wouldn't do it. No. Well, it's not – to me, I have a hard time paying more than something is worth. But if you if you feel it's worth that – Well, then that's that's kind of the rule of thumb. A property is
1: worth what someone's willing to pay for it. And so, if somebody's willing to pay two hundred thousand dollars over,
0: you know, what they're asking for it, I suppose that's the value of it. When I guess you're cashing it, it's yours anyway, so you don't give a shit. And I figure you think over time it's going to appreciate, and so you'll become right side up, yeah. if you will. But and it, in
1: some cases, that's ha- that has worked for some folks. But you know, sometimes it it's it, a big it jump, though. Like, but I would say if you're gonna overpay on anything overpay on real estate versus a car
0: (laughs) or yeah that dumb clothes that dumb shit all the dumb shit I do (laughs) don't do that (laughs) well it's just crazy like people are willing to do it but again if you if you love it and you want to be there that's what I always like again I don't I buy things if I'm I always ask Heather. i like, she find value in. Yeah, yeah. Like what is gonna make when if she shows me these crazy homes that she thinks she's gonna live in someday. And I love her to death, but she's she's nuts. She works hard, so if she wants to do it, then by all means she can get it. But she'll show it to me, I'm gonna like, oh, go, How does this make my life better on a Tuesday? Because like we look at these things, especially here. Scottsdale has become even nicer than when I first moved here and I'm very blessed mm-hmm. to even fucking be here with a ghetto ass kid like me. But I'll see a backyard and it's like, here's this like super fancy bar and fancy pool and all these cool things. And I'm like, that's super awesome. I'm like, what am I going to do with that on a Wednesday? And I'm not saying don't buy the house, but like that can't be the reason like why I would wake up here and die for it just to have that at my house. You know what I'm saying? Well, you're not normal. No. I, the way I, this, is, this is how I think about it. Don't ever take advice from me about buying a home, you guys. Buying but, anything. No. Yeah. And let, if you love it, do it. But when I think about it, like, okay, so I'm going to I'm gonna leave this fancy house I just bought and go sit at work for 15 hours, and I'm going to come home be tired as shit, and I can't even enjoy it, and I just go to sleep. I go, I'm, I, this is not a good deal for me. If Heather wants to wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning and go do that, I'm all for it. But it's just—it's crazy to see here now where things are. You know, people are like, "Oh, I paid eighty grand over asking. I paid fifty thousand more than they were asking." I'm like, "I've never bought a home in that market. I've, yeah. I've never—I've—I've lived through that yet, and I don't want to. It's it would be a weird. I feel bad for people who are who live in Scottsdale, if you're in or any place—Scottsdale, Seattle, Chicago, Los Angeles—and you're 27, mm-hmm. and this is the first time you're trying to buy something in. That has to be a super stressful." situation for sure oh yeah big time I can't imagine going through that and be like what this is what <laughs> this is what I get for 500,000 bucks this is crazy it's insane so you just tell them hey it is what it is or you just be or on
1: move th- out to like the outskirts of you know town because yeah. it's less expensive or
0: like Nebraska Indiana <laughs> one of those places <laughs> um that's all good stuff dude um anything else we missed
1: no I think that we you know kind of covered at all
0: where can um where do these guys if they want to stalk you and be creepy on social media and see all the fancy homes you share so
1: we have a couple of pages and i don't even know what those handles are so old i am but let me let me look here so my personal instagram is uh r-a-u-l s-i-q-i-n-c that's the handle and then our business instagram is lux real estate agents l-u-x r-e-a-l estate agents um and we showcase a lot of great stuff on there including um you know market information uh you can also visit us at jack we um you know we post a lot of interesting you know blogs about you know and and this is really useful stuff i make sure that the stuff that uh, the information that we're posting and providing is actually going to be useful for uh the consumer like we're not into and there's nothing wrong with this but i'm not going to give you you know the recipe on how to cook you know your favorite you know dish yeah but i will give you information on market conditions and you know what's happening in in you know real estate in general and what's happening a lot of times people Will uh, reach out to us to say, "Hey, what's going in on the corner of Indian Bend and you know Scottsdale Road?" And they want to know kind of what's going on there because that affects home values in the area. You know what I mean?
0: Well, for sure. And you guys share a lot of just you know the home decor stuff which again has become like this porn it's like food porn yeah like people like oh look at this uh, i don't even know look at this backsplash look at this <laughs> whatever I I... insert bullshit term we're now using like things i even know like i shouldn't even know these words yeah
1: and design man is like drastically changing um big time right now like it's it's going into a whole different direction like you know a couple of years ago if you had everything was white and bright that was kind of the the color and design palette you know, now people are really getting into color. You know, people are painting rooms blue and people are really experimenting with color and furnishings and, you know, different things like that. So things are changing. It's very
0: interesting to see. It's all crazy to me, man. Yep. I dig it. This is good shit, bro. Um, yeah, so if you guys want to stalk him, I will link all of the... Social media handles in the show notes. Um, I'll put the website on there as well so you can reach out to them. If, obviously, if you guys live anywhere near here, you come visit or you want to move here, it sucks. Don't come here. Um, <laughs> this is too many people, dude. It's crazy. <laughs> like It's going to be like Los Angeles. Oh, big it. time. <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, if they need anything, obviously, I'll connect you guys. But, no, this is good stuff, man. You've done a lot of, you've done a lot of things, man. Thank you for having me, Jeremy. It's, it's a
1: pleasure. I know that, you know, you've come up, man. I'm really, really happy for you. You guys are fantastic people. This guy, he won't toot his own horn, but he's, you know, quality, quality people.
0: Yeah, man, Heather. You've been around for a long time, man. <laughs> you've, been here, you've been here from the start, dude. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, so if you guys want to stalk him, I'll share all the stuff in the show notes. Again, if you guys want to jump on Athletic Greens, the site athleticgreens.com forward slash Jeremy Scott for all the free stuff plus the beamtlc.com. The code is Jeremy Scott for everything else. I uh, appreciate it, brother. This yep. is good stuff. My I learned pleasure, a lot man. too. Um, you guys listening, if you're on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and drop it a five-star, leave a comment. We'd appreciate it. And until next time, eat well, train hard, be nice to people, and please, you guys, keep doing shit you love with people you enjoy because your life is too short not to. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.